Hello, and welcome to 19 Hits the Dragon, the tabletop RPG discussion and interview podcast. I'm your host, uh, Mike Daniel, and today I'm being joined by some guests from Dragon Rock RPG Design. We've got with us today uh, Daniel Lieber Lieberman and uh, Renee Beauregard. Guys, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having us here, Mike. Really glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to have you as well. Um, yeah, why don't you tell me and, and tell my listeners a little bit about uh, about yourselves here and what you do? Age before beauty, my friend. Sure, <laughs> I'll take that. I am the uh, elder, I guess, by that whole year. Uh, One year. Yeah. Renee and I are the two halves of Dragon Rock RPG Design, where the two of us work together creating new supplemental material for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Uh, this includes new subclasses, races, magic items, monsters, pretty much anything else you can think of. Um, most of our supplements are available on DM's Guild. This uh, Most of them are focused on subclasses, and you can check them out there by either searching Dragon Rock RPG Design. Uh, Dragon Rock is spelled R-O-C, like the giant mythical bird, not the shard of stone. There is no K. Uh, in addition to our own work, we also love collaborating with other members of the community uh, as consultants uh, and also collaborators. Um, we're also available to create things by commission. Uh, Renee, why don't you tell them about our socials? Because that's really where everybody finds everything these days. Yes, thank you, dear. Um, you can find us at Twitter and Facebook at dragon rock rpg and on instagram at dragon rock rpg design we post irregularly so you can follow us and when <laughs> we do post you can see all of our fun stuff um we are uh, collaborating with um one of our close friends casual campbell uh, as well working on a um 5e homebrew campaign setting called deep breadth um B-R-E-A-D-T-H. Um, you can find that on Twitter and social media as well. By the time that this podcast comes out, it may have the Kickstarter already started, potentially. I will update Mike with news about that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll throw the links in there for sure. For sure. Um, and on, um, on Twitter, if you ever see... The Dragon Rock Twitter interact with somebody with a GIF. That was me. It's always me. When 90% of the time. 90. <laughs> if it's a dragon uh, GIF, it's probably me. Because probably, I am the dragon half of Daniel. Dragon Rock. Uh, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's dragon and rock with the That's G. That's right. Correct. Yeah, okay. uh, a lot of people <laughs> in my life predominantly call me dragon. It predates anything D&D. It's been a nickname for most of my mm. life. My wife doesn't really call me by any other name. So <laughs> I am the dragon of dragon rock. Excellent. Are, are you in fact the dragon reborn? Cause we would need to have a very serious discussion. I mean, I will admit I have actually mixed feelings about wheel of time, but yes, that's it's, valid. That's it, valid. It, it, it's not an inaccurate statement. I have especially mixed feelings about the show. Um, predominantly negative feelings about the show. But, <laughs> I mean, is that the, um, that's the Amazon prime one. Yeah. Yeah. The Amazon prime one. We watched one episode, my wife and I, and we're like, oh, okay. Mm, yeah. That's I, you know, 
we're not here to talk about Wheel of Time, but I will say I enjoyed it mostly in the sense that they were taking their own or making their own version of the story of Wheel of Time Um, up until like the last two or three episodes of the season when it really fell off for me and they took some made some big changes. They also uh, just was not happy about several books into one short first season like yeah i mean they did a pretty good job of mostly focusing on the first book they pulled a few things from other um sections as well but uh yeah they also just like kind of ham-fisted the story and ignored the main character for the most of the series or for the season so anyway again we're not here to talk about wheel of time and my very mixed (laughs) feelings about that Um, we're here to talk about homebrewing stuff for tabletop rpgs but you know what sometimes you can do is get inspiration from a thing like wheel of time thank you and then hey you want to turn that into D &D. how do you do that um i won't so yeah i guess a subclass we have or specifically one of my babies that has a feature called the dragon reborn it has nothing to do with wheel of time but you know (laughs) those parallels do happen in the world of fantasy um so yeah i guess where you know where how did you guys come up with the 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 premise or like where where did all of this get get started uh for y'all wanting to to come together and make homebrew stuff finave kick off our meet cute Please. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's it's a really interesting story um, because if you if you um, download any one of our PDFs through DMs Guild, you do get like a a sort of uh, abridged version of like how we met in mm. in the intro okay. because we what Dragon Rock is built on uh, at its very core is like collaboration and friendship and creativity and things like that and. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that Daniel and I met um, was I was Daniel's mailman. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, so I uh, would show up with books because Daniel's father is a professor. So he reads a lot of books. And so our house I, between my wife, my dad and I has at least 4,000, if not 5,000 volumes in terms of books and they arrive weekly of more things. So it's a lot. It's true. Amazing. Um, That's like my dream. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would drop off these books every day and just like hand them off and it'd be very cordial, you know, just that I am bringing you your mail. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Daniel was always very kind and very nice. Same with his father. Um, and one day um, Daniel showed up to the door in a jocks machina shirt um (laughs) and i looked at him and i went nice shirt and he just stopped and he looked at me and he goes critter and i'm like yeah and so eventually we got to like talking really quickly about like have you seen this like what's like what like Mm -hmm. where are you and um eventually like it led to more interactions, but talking about Dungeons and Dragons and Critical Role and stuff like that. And then eventually it started like snowballing into like other things that we were like aware of or like working on with D&D. Or that we and... both had backgrounds in theater and music theater and dance and yep. a lot of things not D&D related. That, yeah. that, we're that we're three well. of a kind here in, in that respect. So yeah. wonderful. Uh, yeah. So one yeah. day I uh, I finally you know decided that, and this is like the most romantic 
like friend meet cute you'll ever you'll ever hear about <laughs> the true romance in development it, I can it is tell. true yeah. um i hand wrote daniel a letter and then put it in his mailbox for well, him no, to get later in the day before you did that i i said to renee like one of these days like if you have time do you want to come in and have a coffee a drink something chat a little more like we should do this properly or and he's mm-hmm. like and then you did that. You'd been thinking yeah. about it and hadn't done it yet. Yeah, yeah. and then I left him Very my cute. email, my email it. address, and then we we shot emails back and forth several times, and then eventually we're just like, okay, well, we're gonna set a time or set a day where like I'll come over after I'm done delivering my route, and then we'll sit down and we'll talk, and that's where we started because I like I showed him stuff that I was working on when it comes to homebrew. And then he mm-hmm. showed me things that it were that, it, that he was working on. And it just kind of like effortlessly came together. And we just started helping just, with each other on the stuff we'd done doing yeah. respectively, because mm-hmm, we are mm-hmm. both people who run games. We both people who play, we homebrew a lot, but it's, if you're doing homebrew on your own, it's a challenging thing because the, your primary people you talk to about it generally are your players and you don't want to give them everything. <laughs> so we started right. talking yeah. more of being each other's sounding boards. And mm-hmm. then it just started being like, Renee had an idea for something that he was very rough still. And was like, wait, I think this is cool. Renee, can I like have it and do a draft of it for you and send it back to you? And that those became our initial kind of collaborations. Uh, and we'd been doing that for a while. And then the pandemic hit, right? We'd mm. started playing together. Renee had invited me to join a couple of games. He ran one for me for my birthday uh, for a nice. wife, my wife and a good friend of mine. Uh, he was going to join my campaign as a player. And then the pandemic hit. And mm, this yeah. whole idea we'd had in the back of our head of maybe some of these things we work on together, maybe we'll figure out putting them out at some point. Well, we were yeah. both at home. Renee was mm-hmm. no, uh, not delivering uh, mail at that point. It was at home. So we were like, okay. And we spent a couple hours, at least two, if not three days a week for the first six to eight months of the pandemic, just, just working together grinding. on things. Yeah. Um, we, like, we would churn out stuff like so regularly. And it was like, the thing was, we also, we also started really like cutting our teeth together on like what good homebrew is and Mm -hmm. um we those six to eight months in the first like the first beginning uh year of the pandemic we really kind of found the rhythm like we Mm -hmm. found Mm -hmm. out how to work together um while being apart um we figured out what what we feel as a unit works for um something that we want to see and we want to play mm-hmm. in Dungeons and Dragons 5e. So now at this point, um, you know, when we started, it would it would take us like a week or so to like really iron out uh, a first draft and not even like a completed first draft, something mm-hmm. that we would come back to would be like, okay, we have to tweak this. We have to work here. We have to refinagle that. Um, but now where we're at is effectively we can sit down with somebody for two to three hours and have them pitch us something that they want to do. Mm -hmm. And within 48 to 72 hours, 
we will have the first draft ready and pretty much on the like next to the line of being ready to be published. And like awesome. that's and that's the really cool thing about how Daniel and I have worked together. It's just we have learned how to um really create cooperatively mm-hmm. so that whatever we do create we can turn to somebody and be like hey here's the thing that you asked for and they'd be like that's pretty much what i'm asking for um which we you know if i'm being honest is the coolest part of being a, a rpg designer in any way yeah giving things to people that they want to use and they want to play with whether it's the stuff mm-hmm. that we've come up with or somebody had an idea and we've helped them realize it is incredibly satisfying um, but as Renee said, like yeah. that, all of our releases at this point, like we're continuing to make some new stuff, but the slow churn is all of that stuff that we really cut our teeth on and learned and developed our school, uh, our skills with from being just, you know, people who made stuff for our own games to like, okay, no, mm-hmm. we have really started to crack the code of how this works. Um, we're now making our way through our backlog because we try and do mm-hmm. play testing. We don't have the resources of Wizards of the Coast, but so in games we run, <laughs> yeah. handing it to friends we've made in the online D&D community for them to play test, running mm-hmm. some concentrated play tests of our own. And then we just go and we refine and it's an iterative process. So as Renee said, we're to the point now we can knock out a solid draft of something real quick. Mm-hmm. But for our own releases that we put out into the world on like DMs Guild, we want this to be at a level where it's comparable to anything you'd find in an official book, right? That you could put this at any table. It will be balanced. It will not break anything. We -hmm. take our time with them. We make sure the wording is exact and things like that. And that's what we're doing now is slowly getting more of these things we've created out in the world. Awesome. Yeah, I want to circle back on something that um, Renee mentioned there that um, you two had to come to a, a, an agreement on what good homebrew is. Um, so yeah, I, I guess my question is like, what is good homebrew to, to you guys? And yeah. what, what kind of um, agreement did you did you come upon? And maybe a little bit about how that conversation took place well, as well. The first question we ask people, let's say if someone's commissioning something or they're consulting us, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, what are you planning to use this for? Because creating something for your own table, whether you're the DM or you're a player who's trying to create something for your own character and you have a DM who's willing to let you do that, which for the record, DMs, if you have creative players and they want to take a crack at designing things, let them, you've got enough on your plate, let them work on it, help them refine it. And then say, you can say no to certain things, but let them take on that work. But if you're doing that, it's really easy to create something. You don't have Mm -hmm. to cross balance it to the same level that you would if you're putting it out to publish it because, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm customizing this subclass. Great. You're just swapping out some features. It might not even be a full new thing. Or if it is a full new thing, Oh God, you know, if you look at this, it really breaks if you multi-class it and then take this subclass all of a sudden. Hey, mm-hmm. this character you're going to play, are you going to multi-class it into that? No. Great. We don't have to worry about that. Whereas right. the stuff that <laughs> we are trying to do with our own things that we publish on DMs Guild, mm-hmm. we want to have made sure that that kind of thing isn't a problem. So we want it to be balanced knowing that, hey, something could come up late game and you have to switch it, your own game, that's fine. You put it out in the world, 
hey, somebody else's problem now, right? <laughs> so that's the first step is the difference between what you have at your own table and what you're offering to others. That's the mechanical side of it. The other side of that is creative. Um, if you're making a subclass for a specific character, it can be really narrow narratively, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. Renee and I will come up with ideas or we'll work with somebody because they have an idea for something. And it's like, this is really cool, but this is really tailored to like your world or very specific character design. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, if you're trying to publish it and have it stand out in a way that it could be alongside any subclass or race in the official material, Mm -hmm. it needs to be unique and creative enough that it, draws people in and gets narratives going in their head, but open enough that they can make it their own and that there's not only one possible narrative. There are at least five, six, ten that Renee and I have sort of gone through and the potential for dozens more that we haven't even thought of. Like when people use our material in ways that we hadn't thought of and it works well, that makes us so happy. Because as much as we become rules experts, we're both theater kids. We do funny voices. We like telling stories. That is what drives us. Creating mechanics that have narrative synergy. So that then the mechanics just fold in and you kind of forget about them. Yeah, I I, I think that's a really great um, perspective to take on, you know, beginning the design processes. What is the purpose of this thing that I'm designing? Is it something that I'm just going to use by myself or I'm using it in my own table or right. wanting to put out to the public? And there's certainly ways to approach um, either option that are going to be pretty different. I, I, I like what you said um, there about, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm making this subclass for my character. So I can be as specific as I want to for this one thing that I'm doing for this one game. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can kind of bend and almost break the rules that sort of exist for creating subclasses for a particular uh, class because you're trying to tell your own story or make a character that works in a certain way for this one thing that you're doing. Wholeheartedly. Um, the conventions of yeah. design can, can kind of go out the window to serve the story. Like, at the end of the day, you know the, the I, I I will I will continually pull Jeffrey Rush. They're more like guidelines. Um, <laughs> is is really yeah. is really what these rules are, right? Like uh, honestly, we want people to have fun. Like we want people to 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 play the game, and and it's a game. Like that's what it is, and um, we want to encourage people to understand that you know while the mechanics are really good to use as a framework for Mm -hmm. everything that you do because from good balance comes really interesting design um but at the end of the day like we we just want people to look at something and immediately go that's it that's Mm -hmm. my character like i i can see my character just by looking at this and that's really what we want the mechanics are the vehicle Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that's all it is. It's it, as Renee said, it's the framework. And this, this question, as much as we've made it about where do you, what's your purpose? It's what is good design. 
if it serves the stories you're trying to tell, it's good design. Publishing something public, it's empowering people to tell their stories. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of mechanics, yeah, you need to have a reasonable understanding of the balance. Uh, If you're the idea of somebody's specific character, somebody has a feature from, let's say, their class, maybe even their base class, that does not Mm -hmm. fit that character at all. Right. Totally within the realm, swap it out, create something that makes more sense. But the way you know how to do that in a way that serves is having a little more understanding of those mechanics. So you can say, okay, I've taken this thing that is this power level. I need to put something Mm -hmm. that's comparable. You know, don't take out a ribbon ability that is mostly narrative and then put in something that is mechanically really powerful in combat. That's when (laughs) it... And you just need to develop that sense. That That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's time. There are useful tools. There are videos. Listening to people like Jeremy Crawford from Wizards of the Coast talk about things. Mm-hmm. It's helpful. But it is part science and part art. And really, we're more interested in the art part. It's the science is just nudging it to sort of allow for that art to just run rampant. For sure. So you, you, uh, I guess then what would be kind of the, um, the next step from there? You have your idea, your basic concept, you know, this is maybe something that I'm looking to homebrew uh, a class or a subclass or whatever from, for, for my own personal game. Um, you have kind of a rough idea. Where do you, what's the next step from there? Yeah. So from here, um, once we have the initial concept, where we go from there is we we kind of talk about what elements of the concept do we want to bring to the fore. For example, um, we have our ranger subclasses, which we released very recently. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those rangers is called the archaeologist. Okay. Now, um, this this subclass was initially supposed to be our very first commission. Um, and unfortunately, it just never happened. And mm-hmm. regardless, we um, we informed the person that we would love to release the subclass on our own. And they were all more than happy for us to do that. Um, and so when we were talking about the archaeologist, um, we kind of flirted, Daniel and I, um, not that we flirt with each other. We do flirt with I each mean, other constantly. a lot, but, like, but. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> um, with the idea that you know, the archaeologist has to, is, is about time. It's not about hmm. just, it's not about finding things. It's about your entire being is devoted to time. And um, so we, we came up with a subclass that uses, um, you know, the, like the turns of phrase, like the sands of time and hmm. uh, you know time immemorial and things like that and we were like we were playing with things and and we were like okay well um the archaeologist is all about like a, an actual archaeologist goes on digs mm-hmm. to go and find historical uh relics so what do we do with that okay well what if when this archaeologist makes an attack all of the dust and sand that they've accrued over their armor comes off and instead the other of this, narrative is, it's right. the sands of time that come off their yeah. own it's a little right. bit more of the prince of persia thing right 
Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of instead of this ranger dealing additional damage like most other rangers do at third level, mm-hmm. instead they get the opportunity to blind their opponents with the sand. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then later down the line, um, for example, the um, the Fey Wanderer gets the ability to cast uh, Summon Fey without casting the spell. And if you if they do it in a very specific or without cast using a spell slot, right, and if they right. do it in this specific way, they don't have to maintain concentration. Mm-hmm. And that's like a really fun thing. And so we looked at that and we're like, how can we do this? Like, what what are we doing with something like this? And Daniel turned to me and was just like, well, what about slow? What about casting slow? That mm-hmm. which 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 kind of feels yeah. like you know that you 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 change and control time around you know creatures. And then Daniel was just like, yeah, but if we if we look at the Fey Wanderer ability, what if we take out the concentration? We give them one one time that they can cast it without using a spell slot, and when they do that, they can figure they can focus on one person. Hmm. Because the slow spell is normally an area of effect area that, of effect. Yeah, that yeah. can do mm-hmm. multiple creatures. So like what Renee has used this as an example of is the first thing you do is once you have your concepts, start looking at other materials. So if it's a subclass, and in that case it was mm-hmm. rangers, look at other ranger subclasses. So for that example, right. Summon Fey is a third level spell. Slow is a third level spell. Right? So we were able okay. to pair those things, which also means we know what level subclass feature we can give that up oh that's after Mm -hmm. they get third level spell slots so when you start pairing those sorts of things hey this is how much damage all the other rangers do okay well then we know approximately where our dice is up or down is it a d6 to a d8 is it and all Mm -hmm. of those kinds of things citing official precedent as you create things is really good because that's how you try to balance things. It also helps you, makes it a lot easier for things like subclasses or races where it's a compact thing. You have X number of features, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you can go back and forth. Oh, well, this is something that I know I want as a really powerful ability. Okay, so this is going to be a little higher up. How do those sorts of levels of ability work in the other subclasses, right? Right. And the thing from that is not only do you get your general sense, it's where you get your wording from. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. D&D and the language used in it, or any role-playing game, it is a language-based game, right? right. We're not right. twiddling our thumbs on a video game. We mm-hmm. are telling stories together. And the rules, there is a language to it. Things are called mm-hmm. a proficiency bonus or a ability score modifier. Mm-hmm. When we're having a conversation about it, it really doesn't matter. But these are the kind of, right. how do they write out the spell save or the DC mm-hmm. for abilities? And you take the language right. from that, copy mm-hmm. and paste it. What are mechanic, a mechanic Renee and I love, and we were actually using before Tasha's for, uh, Cauldron of Everything started using it a lot for Wizards of the Coast is tying things mm-hmm. to proficiency modifier. Prior ah, to that, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. proficiency bonus. See, I'd screwed up. Um, yeah. Prior to that, it was a lot of the time ability score modifier. And the right, reason proficiency right. works really well is it scales with your character level. So it means right, regardless you, of what score you're using, right, yeah. everybody has the same proficiency bonus at whatever level they're exactly. at. Exactly. So at third level when a lot of subclasses start 
you're going to be able to use this ability twice. No big mm-hmm. deal. If this was based on an ability score and right. somebody happened to be rolling stats and they have a 20 already, oh, they have five right. uses? That's not going to break right. anything at level 20. <laughs> at level three? Right. Hmm. It that's breaks a, everything. It, yeah. it could, depending on the ability. Now, it's not mm-hmm. saying that that's always the right call, but it's really useful right. for scaling things. And it's one of the first things where Renee and I have this joke all the time of Wizards of the Coast starts doing things and we're like, it's Jeremy Crawford tapping, tapping our on phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one part frustrating sure. of like, damn it, you know, we were doing that thing already. And another level mm. is really validating because we're right. just a couple of yeah. nerds. You who, were doing that thing already and other yeah, people are doing that now. Too. It validates yeah, exactly. that we've sort of figured out how some of this works. But mm-hmm. that's really the tool is pulling wording and pulling precedent. Uh, mm-hmm. And lastly, and this is something Renee and I repeat to people all the time. Do not try and reinvent the wheel all the time. If there is <laughs> yeah. an existing thing that works kind of like what you want, use it. Mm-hmm. If it's a, you're trying to like, oh, there's a spell that does that. Give them that mm-hmm. spell. Oh, it's not a spell caster and... I don't really want to give them an actual spell. Great. Don't give mm-hmm. them the spell. You can use the wording from that spell to understand right. the appropriate language to write an ability that works like mm-hmm. it. Right. Give them a, a magical effect Correct. or feature kind or something yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. is and the same if, as that spell or similar. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. And depending on the level of that spell, you go, mm-hmm. oh, well then what is the level that a caster gets that spell at. Like if it's a full mm-hmm. caster, they get it at this. If it's a half caster, they get it at this. And this allows you to know like, okay, if I want to give them this ability and it's not a spell, I still don't mm-hmm. want to give it to them before X level because spell casters wouldn't get the spell before then. And it just right. becomes that. So what you end up making is totally new and original, but you've taken pieces of existing things to form the appropriate language so that it right. clearly communicates to whoever is reading it. Because if they're mm-hmm. familiar with the language of D&D, that is then, oh, it's consistent. It's not what did they mean. Mm-hmm. That's And if I'm being honest, like that's you look at Xanathar's, you look at Tasha's, like if you look at everything that comes out in those books, like technically speaking, there isn't any new there isn't anything new in terms of design there are like mm-hmm. um like new there in in newness like for example um the grave cleric with the ability to just turn a natural 20 into a regular hit right that's a really simple clean ability mm-hmm. but like what did what, what did they really do not not a lot uh all you, all you did was uh, eventually like uh pro- technically provide the um the attacking target with disadvantage it was really <laughs> all you did right. and and it's just using the already existing material to kind of shape what you're doing mm-hmm. is important and um you know for like for for uh, magical ability like Daniel's talking about uh, like we look at the sun soul monk Mm-hmm. Um, where where they they have the ability to create this giant ball of light, which they can like throw and like mm-hmm. it, that's a, it's a fireball, it's a radiant mm-hmm. fireball, like that's all it is. Like, Absolutely, and this, yeah. And, and effectively, that's that what we're telling people and what we're showing people is effectively like it's it's all just recycling. 
Right. And it's how you it's how you frame the the thing to make it new, and mm-hmm. that's really what it is. Or using existing mechanics in new ways. As said, proficiency mod mm-hmm. is something mm-hmm. they didn't use like that at all in the PHB. Come Tasha's right. and later, they're like, okay, this is a good mechanic. So right. this is now something we know we can do. Uh, the, and they're starting to do more things with hit dice which is something mm-hmm. we've been doing too, which is a cool mechanic. It's an existing resource. Mm-hmm. Hey, how can we give people more ways to use the things we've already give, given them and right. new ways to flavor it and spark their imagination, which is really what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've uh, said a number of times, I think at least once on the podcast, that uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition is sort of a uh, build-your-own tabletop RPG. Um, and in that they give you all of the tools that you need to make whatever you want with the game. Um, very much they, yeah, very much they empower the DM to like, you know, choose and pick and choose what rules you use. They have a lot of options. And then they later say, hey, everything we've set up to this point is also optional. So use what you want. Um, but I think very that that holds very true with like designing uh, classes, subclasses and races and spells and all of that as well is that the the basic tools, the fundamental building blocks are all there already in the core books. And you just can kind of pilfer those to rearrange the pieces in a way that builds something new and and different, but still feels like Dungeons and Dragons. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it is like the truest form and most literal choose your own adventure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Great. So let's, if we can get into a little bit of like specifics about, I know we've kind of been talking generally about homebrew and referencing back and forth, like classes, subclasses and Mm -hmm. stuff, uh, because that's primarily what y'all have done is subclasses as far as release up to this point. But um, I, I know that like the concept of building a whole brand new class is a little bit daunting, right? So tell me a little yeah. bit about y'all's uh, y'all's take on on that and trying to approach a task like that. It's oof, um, it is a labor of love. Um, let me tell you, we <laughs> yeah. um, going back to the deep breath that I was talking about earlier um, mm. that we're doing with our friend. Um, Jay Casual, um, Mr. Campbell, as the as he's known in certain circles, um, but um, we we joined up with with Jay because um, he was just looking for a consultation and he wanted to know like what we thought of what he was already doing. Like he mm-hmm. had already he had already written like so much stuff for his his um well, it's very fantasy it's uh, largely inspired by manga and anime which i will fully say okay. renee and i are not experts in we both appreciate some but it's mm-hmm. jay this is a passion and he knows so much of it in and out so this is mm-hmm. what really drove him and he wants to make all of these things for his world and his versions of these things paying tribute to the things he loves and he mm-hmm. showed us this thing and Jay is a great player and he's a great dungeon master, but he was a lot earlier. This is a over a year ago in his trying to make my own stuff. Hmm. And we looked at the stuff and he was going full bore into full classes. And we were just like, Oh, Oh, my friend, slow down. <laughs> this, this is a lot. Right. So we mm-hmm. talked with him for a while and 
said, like whole classes are a lot, right? Is there mm-hmm. any way we can do these as subclasses or, you know, d- feats and things like that? And then in that case, the reason we said yes to and eventually became des- co-designers of a lot of the yeah. mechanics of this um, mm-hmm. was Jay was not trying to create things to go with the existing books. It's using the fifth okay. edition mm-hmm. system to create a whole new thing. And there were mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. things that don't fit any of the existing classes. Jay's and- world does not have gods. Jay's world includes technology. Mm-hmm. Jay's world has is- internet. There is has- cars, motorcycles. There like, is also mm-hmm. fantasy airships. It's um, like, okay. It is a big crossover of a lot of material. So things like clerics, paladins, wizards, they mm-hmm. don't exist like in the same way that they would in mm. 5e. Okay. Um, so what we had to do is to like talk to him about what he wanted to accomplish with certain things, like what elements that he was he looking for. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what we did was, um, for example, one of my favorite things that we've created for Deep Breath is called the Soothsayer. Effectively, what we did is we mm-hmm. made a charisma caster built on the cleric chassis so the framework of a cleric is is there but the way that the class performs is entirely different the soothsayer is a summoner the soothsayer creates this astral being that fights alongside them and then as they level up the both the um the soothsayer and the um the spirit that they summon get better Mm-hmm. And they they become it becomes this like tandem sort of but the you know, summon I, it mechanic is essentially replaces right. the cleric's channel divinity. Yeah. So the subclass okay. determines it, and for Jay, this can represent anything from people who like Final Fantasy VII and the summoners and mm. uh, things like that, or it right. could be Pokemon. Like it, it, it opens <laughs> it up to fla- okay. yeah. a wide range of flavors. But so what we did with that, and this is how we kind of cracked a code of, because we'd, I consulted on a few people, even before Dragon Rock, um, doing classes before. And the big challenge is classes, play testing a whole class and cross doing it with everything else. So mm-hmm. much work. Subclasses are easier because, hey, there's X number of features. You look at the other subclasses for that class. Right. No big deal. There's like a formula you can follow exactly. that fits each individual. A whole subclass. class. Or each class has their own formula for subclasses for that class. Yeah, yeah and you only right. have so much yeah. room, right? Um, mm-hmm. For a whole class, the variables just increase massively. Mm-hmm. So playtesting that is super hard. Um, but we did find the formula of in, in this instance because we were able to establish that there were several existing classes that Jay wasn't going to use in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you don't have traditional wizards or sorcerers. Okay. So there's room to make our own version of like a D6 caster here or mm-hmm. things like, oh, you don't have barbarians or paladins. So a creative thing we did and, this is one where we talked about it and then a thing clicked oh, in my head of how to do it. Uh, um, Super Saiyans from Dragon Ball Z and things like that, <laughs> right? And yes, 
fully sane. <laughs> everyone who is excited by that and wants to play the de- breath, you get to be a super saint. You do not get uh-huh. to be Goku or Vegeta or something like that no. because no. Okay. that breaks enough, every I guess. <laughs> but a level 21 gets close to that kind of power, but not quite. Right. And we figured out talking about it. Well, a lot of those abilities, they're essentially self-enhancement casting. Mm, so mm-hmm. it is a full caster with a big hit die. The D12 okay. hit die caster. Ooh. Who casts with constitution. Right. This should break everything. This should be like overpowered. It's <laughs> not. We've actually right. figured out a way to counterbalance. So we have a sorcerer kind of scaling thing in terms of the mm-hmm. way it's built out. But it's got a bigger hit die, so we rein other things in. The number of spell slots is the same as a sorcerer, but they even have less spells known than a sorcerer does. And everyone who knows sorcerers okay. don't get that many. They so, have the, yeah. like the smallest pool of That's and, right. spells known, for sure. And so. so there are ways to do it. Um, for the one that is sort of Avatar the Last Airbender inspired and the four elements, mm-hmm. we actually pulled from the Warlock chest. Warlocks. Yeah, okay. And each yeah. and your patron is is instead the element. The element. The element. Okay. Nice. And so and so again, we built on that chassis. Now with all of these, like the warlock one, for example, it looked very much like a reflavored warlock when we were first building it, because that was our way mm-hmm. to balance it. Once we right. got it to a okay, we built it like that, then we could start adjusting things because now mm-hmm. we have it all and we can start moving things to make it more unique. But as you're building it from level one to level 20, where do you even start the variables? Oh, this is a cool ability. Yeah, but it mm-hmm. breaks everything at this point. <laughs> if we did it as right. a one-to-one, so there are ways to do it. But I caution anyone who wants to do it because it's a mm-hmm. lot of work. And two, narratively, the thing we talked about earlier is the broadness you want to have in anything you create if you're trying to publish it to be mm-hmm. used in multiple ways. Right. The existing classes themselves are intentionally broad, especially mm-hmm. with all of the subclasses now that are official because there are mm-hmm. there's more than 100 subclasses officially in D&D now, like a right. lot more. So give me something that like Give me a really good argument for why this can't be a ranger subclass or a sorcerer mm-hmm, subclass mm-hmm. or things like that. Even if you're trying to adjust things a little bit more and you're like, well, mm-hmm. sorcerer would work, but I want it to be an intelligence caster. If this is for your own table, great. Swap Switch everything it. in the sorcerer that says charisma. Charisma for intelligence. intelligence. That's it. Right? Yeah. And no difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If that suits your flavor better. But so that's like a lot of people, like they want a full scion as a whole class. Mm. And there, you know, you, there was some unearthed arcana about that a few years ago. Yeah, I was actually, the, the things that you're saying, I'm, I'm like, I was just thinking about this. It, it's pretty obvious that like even Wizards of the Coast was struggling with this thing as well. I mean, they had an unearthed arcana full class. We, we saw the development of the scion and the artificer side by side. And only one of those has actually made it into being a new class because they realized that what they were trying to do with this Scion caster, quasi caster, really fit better into 
subclasses for other classes, right? So now we yes. have Intasha's, we have the Cyanite, we have the the Rogue subclass that I can't remember the name of. Yeah, Soul, Soul Knife. Um, and then the uh, the Wizard is the the Psionic. No, it's the Sorcerer is the Aberrant Mind. The Aberrant Mind. Oh, Aberrant Mind. Right, you're right. Right. But yeah, right. no, but that's anyway. the thing. Is but, yeah, the, exactly. Go ahead. How Go ahead. do you not step on the toes of everything that already exists right exactly so, so yeah. a lot of the time narratively i don't feel like most people's ideas for classes make sense to really do that in terms of publishing it without really stepping on the toes i am not saying if you have something for your game that you want to make a unique class don't but see if there's right. ways for you to explore to do it in other things and you don't have to do it all through a subclass Maybe it's a subclass mm. and a race that work together. Maybe it's a subclass, mm. a race, and a couple of feats. And by using these different tools, you still craft that unique feel. You get everything you want, but you don't have to deal with balancing the mechanics of an entire class <laughs> right, from level to one very to 20. Basic, like basic building blocks. Yeah. yeah. Put that all together. You can use... Yeah more exactly. complete pieces that are already existing don't reinvent the wheel now yeah there you it, go <laughs> but making classes can be fun it's just i suggest people use it you got to be committed to it and it has to be for a good reason and yep. we will do them but you got to make a good pitch for it why does this have to be that because it's a lot of work work smarter not harder always yeah because it leaves you more energy for to a long time. So <laughs> the more you do that, it leaves you more energy and time to be really creative mm. in all the new stuff you then do create because you're standing on the shoulders of what has come before. Yeah, I'd love actually, I guess maybe some more more examples of you know things that you guys have have done and can kind of display some of these uh, principles that we've we've talked about. Um, I know you talked a little bit about the ranger subclasses, uh, the archaeologists there. Um, any others that are maybe particular favorites of y'all's that um, oh, yeah. display some of these uh, these tricks? Yes, I I love our warlocks. Okay, um, our warlocks are the bee's knees, and I want to <laughs> talk about I want to talk about one that um, initially um, was my like my brainchild called the aberrant which is now called the corrupter um partly because uh, the aberrant mind sorcerer subclass came out and we went there's a thing for that already we need to rename it the flavor is enough different (laughs) that you know they can both exist but we got to change the name (laughs) yeah (laughs) here's and here's the thing mike daniel had to convince me so hard to change that name mm. and i was like fine like whatever and then we did it and you uh, went yeah this is better totally anyways. not no, bitter at all it's smart play, yeah so. it was it was the smartest thing we'd ever done um <laughs> but effectively what this um what this warlock subclass does is effectively you become an aberration okay you 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 start to mutate and you Excellent. start to change mm-hmm. and it's the the concept for the patron is built off of things like um beholders and um 
oh, what's the, what are the ones that are in the water? Aboliths. But it's an alternative for the uh, existing thing of the great old one, because one of the things you always mm-hmm. have to be careful of is you want to look at the things that are similar to use as reference, but you want to make mm-hmm. it a little different. And the great old one, which the thing is always Cthulhu, right? But it can right, be flavored, right. is all cerebral. It makes you psychic. This is hmm. the physical side of this, is that you have hmm. physically okay. been transformed okay. and corrupted by this. Renee. Correct. Yeah. And uh, the first level ability allows you to do one of three different things. You can either get, like gain a, like a natural armor and improve yourself that way. Um, you can uh, move faster. Um, and, and your legs and, and arms extend it allows you to pull yourself farther than you could before turning into the thin man. Okay. Right. And then, <laughs> uh, and then the last one, it's, uh, giving it's you a, advantage on perception checks. Yeah. It's making you just more extra essentially perception. Okay. okay. Right. And then mm-hmm. as you, as we build into that, uh, that subclass, the next stage is, um, all of the different gazes. So because I, I kind of built this with like a mainly a beholder in mind, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you get four different types of gazes that you can hit somebody with as a bonus action because mm-hmm. warlocks don't really get a lot of bonus action-y stuff. Like, and it's hex, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. So I, what I wanted to do was to supplement that and to give more bonus actions to warlocks and so you have the ability to make someone fall asleep Hmm. you have the ability to push them away just by looking at them you have the ability to make them frightened of you um and And they're all super short-term effects they're all essentially a turn uh, some mm-hmm. last to the end of a turn, right. some to the beginning of a turn, but it's just a short-term effect of the very visage as you look at something with your corrupted nature and your strange mm-hmm. eyes, very much like a mind flare, for mm-hmm. instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this stuff. And then happens. you know, it's yeah. it, it, we, that one's where we use charisma modifier because mm-hmm. that's where we're like that's where this makes sense because we don't want it to be that. Um, because it's it's the, the the physical visage of you and your your mm. um, your, your presence correct like your personality yeah. that mm. kind of like really enforces this. Um, later down the line, they get advantage on um, saving throws against magical effects. Um, okay. and specifically, like end, charmed and frightened. I think is big ex- for that. I think yeah, I think that's it. Specifically, charmed and frightened. And then um, at the end, we get this the last ability, which is called. Uh, um, twisted mutation where um, you can, if you can see something within 60 feet of it, you can make it make a, um, a constitution, constitution saving safe. throw. And then you effectively force it to start mutating Ooh, on its so own. you are the corrupted it, creature by a corrupting <laughs> patron and then you're right. big thing channeling is, the corruption into the world around you yeah. you yeah. can corrupt something else <laughs> yeah it's, i dig it, it. it honestly one of my favorite builds that we've done um there again it's something that is a subclass that i'm really passionate about mostly uh-huh. because I had to fight Daniel for a couple of things. Um, <laughs> and so I will still maintain that passion for that subclass. Yeah. Um, but the, the way that it builds and, and the, the through line and the flow of that subclass in and of itself, um, 
I know that if I gave that to somebody who loves playing Warlocks, they would really sink their teeth into it. And I have a mm-hmm. couple of times and they're just like, man, that's really cool. And like, that's the super rewarding thing is for me to give something to somebody and go, here, try this. And they go, that's really cool. But and Renee touched on a couple of our touchstone things here is narrative through line. If you can mm-hmm. tie both the narrative and the mechanics of an ability, like you give them something at first level or third level or whenever it starts and it resonates and ties in either narratively or mechanically or sometimes both with later mm-hmm. abilities, then you start to build that arc as opposed to, oh, and this ability works with that ability. Like that that makes it feel really good as opposed to just, I wanted my character mm-hmm. to have these things, so I gave them these things. So right. ne- weaving that thread through it, uh, a really good thing about the warlocks, it's also true for clerics and paladins and uh, rangers and things like that, is nailing what a spell list for them is because all of these classes Mm. often get additional spells they know Mm -hmm. if you can figure out what the good right spells for your theme and your narrative are that Mm. frees you up to know okay i don't have to invent those mechanics i've given them that as a spell they know they can do that which then allows you more freedom to make more unique abilities with the Mm -hmm. features because hey they have the suggestion spell great. I don't need to give them an ability to do something like that. They've got it. Or for um, the Warlock, that was one where we were very committed to giving them spells on that list that no other Warlock has. Mm, Right? Because Warlocks, they don't automatically know these spells. These are additional spells they can choose. And we went through it. And things like uh, Absorb Elements was a touchstone for us. If you have a mutated body, oh, great. Mm. You can cast as a reaction to be able to absorb whatever that damage type is and then hit something back with it. So if you're a blade-packed warlock, like that just fits perfectly. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And then like building on what Renee said with the warlocks, uh, our other one in that is more almost druid-themed. We called it the Skulker in the Woods. And it eventually can summon blights to help it. It has the ability to root its feet into the ground. So, and it gives it certain advantages. It can't move while it does this, but then when it does Mm, out, mm -hmm. it can lash out with an enhanced uh, thorn whip that it gets as a cantrip that can grapple things. And at first it's just one, but eventually Mm -hmm. it can grapple multiple things with it, thorn whip and control things. And then Eldritch blast them while they're grappled. (laughs) <laughs> like and eventually it can summon Excellent. a giant what we called corrupted megaflora so it like makes something kind of like a tree blight it's a custom stat mm-hmm, block mm-hmm. but so we had that i of just a darker more sinister idea of those things that lurk in the woods the trees that come alive the vines that move yeah. and offering that to a warlock felt really mm. fun and then yeah. with the warlock as opposed to the rangers or the barbarians where we did three subclasses, we realized you don't need it to always be more and more subclasses. We gave them a bunch of other Mm. things. We gave them new uh, Eldritch invocations. Like it's the cool thing Mm. about warlocks is you can customize them so much. So we gave them ones that like, oh, warlocks get access to fine steed or fine greater steed. So you can summon Mm. something. But because it's an invocation, you're able to give it a little more power 
Um, so we allow them to specifically summon some additional creatures that you could have. So find greater mm-hmm. steed. You can have a manticore. Like, <laughs> it, and it doesn't break things much. It's just one notch up on challenge rating. Um, mm-hmm. And it requires a warlock spell slot. And that's, again, taking okay. precedent yeah. away from other things. Uh, we also mm-hmm. came up with a new packed boon, uh, uh, like a different uh, packed gift. Um, because, okay. mm-hmm. you know, you have packed of the blade, packed of the tome, all of that. Mm-hmm. Packed of the parasite. So you want to play Venom? Ooh, okay. A, or a part yeah. of your patron now lives inside of you. Mm. Like, uh, another way to flavor this, though, is let's say you're a, um, a Hexblade Warlock. And you take, well, I'm not going to take Pact of the Blade. No, take Pact of the Parasite. Because sometimes the idea with a Hexblade Warlock is that your patron isn't an entity. It's an intelligent mm. weapon in itself. Let's say it's right. an intelligent weapon that was shattered thousands of years ago. The weapon no longer exists. Oh, you have a shard of that weapon beneath your flesh that won't come out ever. Right? Nice. And so just yeah. giving people more tools to come up with cool narratives. Um, I can say in terms of like favorite things we've created, it's one we haven't released yet. Um We've said before, Renee and I both have theatrical backgrounds. Uh, for a number of years, mm-hmm. I was a professional dancer. It's very close to my heart. It is the one that makes me oh, the most. Cool. It's the art form that probably of all the things I've done resonates most deeply. And this is a good way to say how a lot of Renee's and my collaboration works. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a really good editor. Um, as you probably mm-hmm. noticed, I've got the key mind feet for real. Like I can tell you <laughs> yeah, what spell I, is in what book. Picked up on like very sharp attention to detail. From the yeah, um, yeah. But that makes me a really good editor and it helps, makes me really good at helping other people craft things. That editing means that sometimes I self edit before I put the thing on the page because I want to get it right. Mm-hmm. Renee, you can tell what your like main method. Oh is. yeah. My method is, my method is so balls to the wall um so i like to put i like to put it like this i like to get an idea which is my spaghetti and i put that spaghetti in a pot and i let it ruminate and i let it boil and then until when it's ready i take that spaghetti and i go hey daniel and i take the spaghetti out the pot and i throw it against the wall and i go look what i did and daniel comes back over to the wall and goes well, that's interesting. um and then he starts like taking little pieces of the spaghetti and goes like what about this? And I go, mm. yeah, that's the thing. And then we like, that's like, you know. And, and this isn't always how we do it because there have been things where I've thrown things out and then Renee's run with yeah. it. And some of them mm-hmm. we do totally in tandem. So it's not always, but Renee is really good at just throwing stuff out there. And I'm it's an like, ideas, man. like, I'll throw it out there. If it works, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, Renee, early in our collaboration, did what he called the College of Grace. Uh, we have not published it. You will notice there is probably at least half a dozen other College of Graces out on the internet because, mm. yes, when you're doing homebrew, shocking, lots of people who uh, have made an idea of an, a movement or dance-themed bard mm. uh, yeah. thought College of Grace was a good name. I agree with them, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but until Wizards of the Coast does one, I'm not too worried. <laughs> but I had wanted to do a dance-themed and movement themed bard for a long time, but it is so deeply personal to me that I just mm. could not 
actually wrap my head around it. Renee threw something out there and what Renee made was a cool idea, but it was very specific. Uh, it had a lot of the whirling dervish kind of feel stepped a little okay. bit on the college of swords uh, a little, but it, it had some really good ideas, but it was also culturally a little too specific. And one of the things Renee and I try and do because we are two white guys in this space that we should never be the person trying to write how an African inspired thing should work, how a Chinese inspired mm. thing, how any, we cannot be that representation, but we want to foster the ability for others to do it. And mm -hmm. I'm lucky in that when it comes to dance, I have been exposed and trained in a lot of different disciplines from all over the world. But even if I know about them, it is not my place to define how one that is not from a culture that I belong to works. So what mm -hmm. I wanted to do is make something that anyone could use that you could, it could be, uh, traditional Indian dance or Bollywood, or it could be b-boying, or it could be modern and contemporary dance and ballet and all mm -hmm. of these things, or fantasy elf dancing, which to me, like in a character <laughs> I played, who is this subclass, is a blend of everything because you've lived for a thousand years. You can train in every discipline and make it however you want, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So speaking to movement and dance, our College of Grace, the draft Renee made, is doesn't gone. exist. The thing, There's every nothing. everything in Renee's pot of spaghetti on that did not make the next <laughs> just, cut. Daniel just scraped it right off the wall and went, "I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make it myself." But <laughs> if Renee had not done that, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did next. And the mm -hmm. draft that I wrote in response to that we have continued to tweak. It hasn't been released yet. We haven't released our bards yet, but. Mm -hmm. The draft that I met wrote an immediate response is pretty close to what we're ending up with. And it's because yeah, I was able to take what Renee did and like, okay, I like what he's going with here, but it's not an end and edit and change. And by what started with editing eventually was an entirely new thing. But that dialogue between us, whether we're talking it through or mm -hmm. writing something, sending it to the person, they write something new, send it back. That dialogue and that collaboration like that's one of the ones that's closest to my heart um, mm -hmm. because it's just something that deeply resonates me. And it's allowed me to play a character in our home campaign that allowed me to realize some things in dance and performance because I haven't been in that career in 10 years that I never got to do. And that, that one just gets me right in the heart. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Awesome. Well, yeah, I uh, I know we've we've focused in a lot on like subclass and class design here because that's kind of primarily what y'all have done as far mm -hmm. as what's been released. Um, but I definitely think there's space to talk about you know um, things beyond that. You mentioned uh, invocations uh, for the uh, the warlock. I think that can you know some of those concepts can very easily be applied to like feats or yeah. you know, changing up spells, yep. changing up um, spells, like uh, sorcerer meta magic. We've created a couple mm -hmm. other of those that we will release okay. when we release nice. our sorcerers. Yeah. Any of those things, uh, magic items. Hell yeah. Like mm. we do it all. The reason we have focused on subclasses is if you notice every time a new subclass comes out in either unearthed arcana or official material is when people freak out the most because mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. One of those things that DMs can get excited about, whether it's for their players or for NPCs they can make, players yeah. get excited about, uh, and it's because they get to make them their own. We also mm -hmm. make a lot of 
races that we haven't released, partly because some of the races we've made are tied to things that are a little more our own narrative that we might not want to do on DMs Guild because publishing there does to an extent give Wizards of the Coast rights to what you do. So we might want to keep some of that to ourselves. Also, a lot of stuff we make, as said, it takes us a while to get stuff out. Wizards then ends up doing it. Like we did our own remaster of Dragonborn. We did our own gem scale Dragonborn. And then Wizards did Fizzbins. And I like what they (laughs) did. It's different than ours. Uh, There's aspects of ours that I like more, but there's no point in us like publishing that as like, we don't like what they did. Here's ours. Right. Right. Um, Or we made a rabbit folk style race uh, because Mm -hmm. Renee's wife wanted to play one. Far before the Herringen came out. And it was just like, mm-hmm. because my wife is a huge fan of Watership Down. Okay. Um, yeah. So she wanted to pay, she wanted to play a rabbit person. And I was yeah. like, all right. And I turned to Daniel. I'm like, we're making a rabbit person. And we <laughs> literally just right. like, yeah, we yeah. had a quick talk of what do we think it needs? I wrote a draft, mm-hmm. sent it to him. Nice. And it pretty much there. And then they came it's up with the Herringen. Yeah. And we're like, that's cool. There's some things I really love in what they did. And there's some things I like mm-hmm. better in what we did. But I'm not, yeah. we're not going to publish that as it is right now because that's, that's out there. Yep. I, I guess any, uh, any words of advice for GMs or designers who were trying to build their own races, maybe a place to some, some, some tips for how, how to get the, those wheels turning and make something that is um, interesting or unique or. For yeah. sure. Um, the, the right way to go about it is to, again, we will, I will, we will continue to hammer home. If it, if you don't have to reinvent the wheel, don't like, if it's effectively like you, what you want this race to do Mm -hmm. is effectively like you want to give, you want your, your race to cast very specific spells and be intimidating and have a couple of things. Good. Make it a, either a tiefling or a dragonborn and like reskin it, like just, Mm -hmm. just, just reflavor it. But when it comes to like actual designs that I can stop harping on what we continue to talk about already um, (laughs) is uh, there is a really good resource called detect balance um, not made by us. Exists. It's a fan-made not, Google Docs. Yeah, um, where you can effectively um, click drop downs and try and reconfigure things to try and find like the happy medium place, hmm. right? Detect Balance has assigned a specific um, numerical value for certain features and traits. That so, like can. dark vision or a skill proficiency or a cantrip are worth okay. one, two, three points or something like that. And okay, gotcha. The way it works is they estimate that using this score, a good solid score for a class, including ability scores, which we fully support wizards actually divorcing ability scores from races and recommend everybody uses mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And also their idea that sometimes maybe making a race more about what they are physically, spiritually, not their mm. culture. So maybe weapon right. proficiencies and things like that, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Maybe do those as sub races because sub races aren't necessarily races. It might be a culture tied to your mm. world. Mm-hmm. But right. I digress a bit. The way Detect Balance works is they suggest something in the mid to high 20s, like 25 to 27 is the score you're looking for. 
um, okay. with these gotcha. abilities, with 12 of that just being ability score mods for the normal ability score mod. Um, there's not, there are races that go into the like high, uh, into the like early 30s, some mm-hmm. elves, Asimov, mm-hmm. things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the right. idea being, this is not an exact science. Do mm-hmm. not take the numbers you get here from what don't try and game the system of if I drop this right. one down and take this ability up, how can I maximize what I get? If mm-hmm. you are in the mid to high 20s, you know you're probably in the ballpark. If you're creeping into the 30s, mm-hmm. you're probably pushing it a bit. There are yeah. some things in here we do not agree with their scoring. They think flying is totally broken. I disagree. Mm-hmm. I understand why some DMs are resistant to it and it can make certain encounters a little more challenging to run, but it's not mm-hmm. broken. Uh, right. They think magic resistance like 1T have or um, satyrs have. The satyrs, all, yeah. Mm-hmm. That those, although that is changing with Morden Kane, the new Morden Canaan book, they are changing the way the wording on that works slightly. Mm-hmm. It's not broken. It's advantage on saving throws against magic. You can still roll badly twice on the dice. It's very yeah. good, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's in itself not broken. Uh, so the moment you're touching on features like that or trying to create a feature that is more original, like some of the stuff we've done, mm-hmm. it becomes less useful. But still, if you're using it as a ballpark of like, okay, am I super high here? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe I need to distill things down a bit. But most of the time, it's three to five features that really make sense for your race to really deliver the flavor you're going for. If it's a skill proficiency, as I said, I don't think giving things like history at this point makes so much sense for a race because. Just based on race, that's not a thing. What if you're an right, orc right. raised by elves or an elf raised by orcs? You know, mm-hmm. it, it, things like that change up a little bit. But perception for elves makes sense because keen eyes, keen ears. Same thing right. with Herengon. Mm-hmm. Athletics for um, for Goliaths, because even if you're the weakest Goliath ever, you're still X number of feet tall and broad. You have some natural mm-hmm. ability for it. Right. You potentially yeah. grew up like in the mountains or yeah. like, and again, that kind of gets into a culture thing, but like it, it makes, but it you're makes physically sense. adapted more to that. Right. So like pull things like that. Do you have dark vision? Like, again, take those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, I also really like what is being done in the newer races of, mm-hmm. and, for example, this is another thing. Listen to Jeremy Crawford on this. Um, when you look at Tieflings racial spellcasting, they have a, this is the spellcasting ability for it. And you can mm-hmm. cast these spells once. That's right. it. Um, the newer racers that get it, you choose what your spellcasting ability is for these when you start the character. Is it intelligence, charisma, or wisdom? Right. Let players do that. Let them do that with tieflings and anything that already has it. The next thing, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. spells, you can only cast them once. If they have spell slots and they mm-hmm. want to cast those spells, that's fine. They get one mm-hmm. free casting and then others take spell slots because they're having to use a resource, right? right. And Crawford has right. said, if we were designing this now, we'd let you do that. So in our games, mm-hmm. we let people do it. So lean into things like that. Um, yes. 
a thing that's coming with Mordenkainen's, which again is just validating for Renee and I, almost everything that used to reset on a, you can do this once per short or long rest. Mm-hmm. Is, is coming with proficiency bonus. Is now yeah. becoming, it resets on a long rest. Mm-hmm. And it can be but proficiency bonus. Because again, this is great. It means mm-hmm. an ability when you first get it, it's not going to break anything that was something that used to be once is now twice and it mm-hmm. gives longevity in it. And it feels yeah. a little better. You know, that Aladrin being able to do their face step a couple mm-hmm. of times yeah. makes a lot more sense than, well, I did it Aladrin, once. The, do, doing it once is very limiting for sure. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. The other thing <laughs> that Renee and I have been exploring for a while, both in races and in subclasses, and I, love that they're doing it more now um creature type it used to be mm, that everybody's mm-hmm. creature type was humanoid everyone's humanoid yep centaurs then satyrs then hexbloods yeah. and now fairies have mm, all got they're the all switch. fey they're all fey yep mm-hmm. i love that um one of a baby of mine that i don't know if it'll ever be published is a dragon focused race with which I have my okay. own lore about shocking guy named dragon loves dragons um, <laughs> as the dragon. And the race, whole thing about mm-hmm. them is that mm-hmm. they are in fact dragons in humanoid bodies. They are, that they're raised okay. entirely based on that. So right. as opposed to dragonborn who look more like dragons, but on the inside, they're mm-hmm. actually, they're humanoids more or less. Right. These guys, their hearts, their souls, they are dragons. So they may look humanish but their creature type is dragon and there is nothing wrong with that what it gives you is limited spell immunity things like calm emotions charm person hard person person. don't work on you that's it right um it gives you vulnerability to certain things somebody has a sword of dragon slain and they hit you with that oh your character is going to take a whack load of damage Mm-hmm. The two creature types to be cautious with and wizards is trying to figure out ways to work around it in um, Unearthed Arcana. And they almost always, by the time it gets to publishing, have they've just gone, no, we're not doing it. Mixed it, yeah. Undead and Constructs. And that's because... Mm-hmm. healing. Yeah, yeah. Most of the healing spells and healing features in the game thus far specifically say in the text, do not work on Undead or Constructs. Right. And given the way the game is balanced, player characters not healing like that doesn't mm-hmm. work. So then you have to give them a different way to do that, which invariably mm. then makes them overpowered because they can self-heal right. in some way. So I would be cautious saying explore undead or um, exploring undead or exploring constructs. But any yeah. other creature type, if it fits the narrative of what you're creating, switch the creature type. It's a little bit of power, mm-hmm. but it's not game breaking, right? Mm-hmm. No. So those are all kind of like yeah. little tools you can pull on to make a race feel a little more unique. If I were designing yeah. Aladrin now, I would just make Aladrin Fey because they are fey. the Fey's oh, yeah, elves, for sure. and it yeah, already mm-hmm. is canon that some Aladrin are Fey. Right. Yeah. And true. Like one of our sorcerer origins is the Feyborn. The Feyborn. And mm, nice. I pa- love pairing that with Aladrin. And mm-hmm. because then you are that you're the level 20, you're starting to verge on Archfey, right? Right. Awesome. Great. Well, yeah. Um, 
ton of really great advice here today, y'all. Uh, I, I guess anything that you feel like maybe we have not touched on or that you would really want to impart some particular advice to uh, to listeners that we haven't uh, chatted um, about yet? I will touch because we've gone around spells, but I'll touch on things mm-hmm. like feats and supernatural gifts and dark gifts okay. from Van Richten's. Mm-hmm. Um, a policy Renee and I both have as DMs is we always give players a free feat when you start. At mm-hmm. level one. At level okay. one. Uh, nice. Wizards is, again, a thing they are now adopting with Strixhaven. It's part of a background with mm-hmm. um, Theros. It was everybody got a supernatural gift that was likely tied to a god. But in there, okay. it says you can take one of these supernatural gifts or a feat. Because, mm-hmm. and so they're about the same balance power level wise. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity for players to inject a little more uniqueness to their characters right from step one. If, as opposed to, I'm a first level el- wood elf fighter, I am a first mm-hmm. wood level wood elf fighter, but I have chosen this feat that makes me a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it sets up two things one, they get to make their character a little more unique. Two, it starts players thinking of how can I use this mechanic to define my character? Because at level one, the Mm. one condition Mm. we have is pick the feat you want, but you have to tell me why your character has this at level one. Right. Right? And if you take something like sharpshooter and you're an archer, Mm. it's like, great. That makes total sense. Your character... Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to justify that to me. If you tell me why as mm-hmm. a level one character you have the Mage Slayer feat, <laughs> I'm not going to say let's, no, let's, but yeah. you need to make a really let's good talk about pitch. why, though. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> so it, it's, it gets them into that mindset of tying the mechanics and the narrative together and shaping mm-hmm. those two mm-hmm. parts of your character to make something really unique that work together. That, and so that we always recommend give people a free feat. Feats, supernatural gifts, dark gifts are really good thing Wizards is doing more with. I encourage mm-hmm. people homebrewing to do that. Hey, this subclass works, this character race works, but I need something a little special. Great. Work on a feat. They're really easy. They're like we talk about how many variables there are in a subclass versus a whole class. This mm-hmm. is one mm-hmm. feature. Yeah. It is a feature that is not tied to a class. That's all it is. Maybe you tie it to the race, right? Um, and in terms of things, give it at ability scores. Let them take something. It's again, it's like saying you can use spell slots to cast racial spells. They're expending an Mm -hmm. existing resource. It doesn't break the balance. You just know kind of the power level you have to build with. So if there's Mm -hmm. a character who has multiple abilities that you don't have a way to represent, make a series of feats that work in sequential order that might be broke. And this is, again, something Wizards is starting to do more of with Strixhaven and mm-hmm. their most recent Unearthed Arcana, uh, Kryn, where you, the feats stack mm-hmm. so that you give them these little things and, oh, well, this feat would have been too powerful to give mm-hmm. them at level four, but they're level 12 now. It's mm-hmm. kind of like an Eldritch Invocation, right? So it's these concentrated things that you can use. Said give a free feat from uh, the beginning of things. 
Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to maybe give another additional free feat to people when the story calls for it in things. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying give yeah. go crazy with it and give six additional feats or supernatural <laughs> gifts to players. That right. would be a bit much. Right. But one to start and one or two along the way when the story mm-hmm. justifies it, that's great. Mm-hmm. Will it make your characters a little more powerful? Yes. Sure. Yeah. But it depends on the feat. And honestly, I like empowering players. That's what we yeah, like to do ab- with our design. That's why, why we're playing the game. Is exactly. To do cool shit, right? And yeah. like, the more you empower them, cool shit. <laughs> you can then do more badass stuff to them as a DM. It's like, great. Exactly. They're yeah. super. Like, Renee, <laughs> cool. You've got all these cool things. Oh, well, guess boy. what kinds of monsters you're going to have to fight now. Renee so, in our home trash. game. What are we talking about? Which one? Well, I'm just going to say <laughs> that like, partly because we're using our material and we give a free feed. Also, Renee knows I'm one of the players. And as much as I turn off my DM brain and my goal is always trying to help Renee aside from playing my character, Renee knows that I, it's not power gaming, but I've built characters that work well narratively and mechanically and can potentially absolutely wreck stuff. Not because they're overpowered, but because I'm using them in specific ways. So we have a party of six people. Renee always maxes out the potential number of hit points when we get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Like once we're past mm-hmm. level six, my party yeah. knows this. Like they mm-hmm. are aware of this. They right. like this. The the health um, stat on any monster stat block gives you the breakdown of like how you would calculate their health. Yeah, and that's the, the average. number there is like the average, yeah. right? So right. yeah, exactly. So what I do is I just I just take the number of dice, I multiply them, and then I add the plus bonus at the end, and I go boom. Mm-hmm. That's the HP here because yeah, at absolutely. the end of the day, for for my party, the way that they build their characters. They will go through the hit points. That's I'm not a problem. Erase the it's hit just, points. Yeah, it's just like it just doesn't matter. But right. like I, but I, I just need it as like a like a scaling thing to see how like mm-hmm. it's like a progress. But, and but this thing, isn't right? saying all DMs should do this, but DMs remember mm-hmm. that is a recommended adjust up That's and down an as yeah, required. But so if you give your players a little more, build your things up a little bit more, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, I would always err on giving them more empowering them more and then you can give them a little more challenge as opposed to like well i got to keep my players down a little bit right no nah, mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. them feel right. awesome yeah. and then give yeah. them challenges that cha- that they have to bring it Couldn't and that and more. that was it like there was there was a time because i'm like i'm daniel's dm and in our group of six like i have been running my game with them for like over a year now um we're just starting a new campaign mm-hmm. right now um where they they used to be level 10 i think we were 11 uh, when that I, campaign petered out yeah yeah 10 10 or 11 and now i've got i pulled them all the way back to level three mm-hmm. um for this yeah. new campaign so they're they're readjusting yeah. but in that previous campaign um like the end boss for the very first arc that i put them in front of was like a level 17 warlock because mm. they were they there there's six of them and, right. and then i put them in front of a spawn of caius and a devourer like i knew that things were going to be hairy for a certain push it on that one i w- i have told you <laughs> it was awesome you even know you pushed it on that one <laughs> I mean, a little bit but, and, and, Caius, and, and, there's just always a, a tough time i well, i put, it was more, I put it was, 
I put a couple of them up against a party that was like 17, 18 levels somewhere in there. Yeah. And I almost wiped the party <laughs> against well, like three or four of them. So it was more so yeah. the warlock than anything else. Yeah, because, the warlock so that, yeah. because the level 17 warlock gets access to level nine spells. Mm-hmm. So when I created a, uh, a warlock dedicated to Orcus, um whose <laughs> who, whose ninth level spell choice was fairly simple to me um because of like the whole story i'd built up about how he was going to bring orcus all of these uh souls so he could raise the undead and take the earth mm-hmm. um i gave him power word kill yeah and so what happened when the one character who has over 100 hit points the rest of us around didn't. a little and, and and she got knocked around a little bit and then mm-hmm. decided to get up in his face and smack him to a degree that he didn't like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it happened. And so, um, and that was a thing where I was like, I realized like right after I said it, like that I, because the silence in that video call <laughs> yeah. was like yeah. deafening. And it uh-huh. was it like, I watched the wind come out of that player and my players in general. And it was just like, well, it was yeah, also the delayed fuck. effect because everyone else thinking, wait, what's happening. And Renee seeing me go immediately go, Oh no. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so it was, it was something that I realized like, yes, you can do things like this, mm-hmm. but at the end of, at the end of whatever you're doing, if you're going to do something like this, you have to make sure that they're, that they're going to be capable of either coming back from it mm-hmm. or if that person is, is okay with not coming back from it and doing something else. Right. Um, because I, I didn't ask anybody. I just went ahead and did it right. because there are some times where I'm just, I, I really want the, the consent of my players to kind of understand, you know, where they are in, in their headspace with their, with the game and the mm-hmm. story, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's other times where I'm just like full send. We are mm-hmm. just, we are just wholeheartedly going for it. And no matter what happens, we will ride it out and we'll figure it out together. And it was really, it was a really cool moment because then they eventually, they, you know, um, the, the hilarious part was that no one in this party was a cleric. Did anyone have Revivify? No, no one, no one had Revivify or no <laughs> one was a high enough level in cleric to have had gotten Revivify. So yeah. that that was, yeah. a, that was a stretch. So oh, I've corrupted like all this- our players with a love for multi-classing because I love multi-classing. <laughs> um, but it was it's, a really, yeah, it was, it was a, a really sure. fun, it was a really fun story. That mm. was the, that was the thing. Like we had a really good time telling that story. It was heartbreaking that entire session. Yeah. But at the same time, like we, we all kind of really had a good session. We had a great, like a lot of us got emotional and mm. we all talked about it and it was, we all worked it out. It was fine. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, it was me. The thing is, I know my players and I know what they're going to be okay with. I, or at least right. I have an idea as to what are they, they're, they're going to be okay with. So me pushing that yeah. boundary just a little bit and, and going was just, it was just me like dipping my toe in the water being like, how okay are we with this? Mm-hmm. As soon as I got that reaction, I'm like, okay, maybe we're not ready exactly for that yet. So mm-hmm. I'm going to get, I'm going to give them as much opportunity to rectify this situation so that they can get back to playing and everybody will be okay because that's what, that's all that I want is mm-hmm. that everyone has a safe and like a uh, safe and good experience at my table. So 
you know, and moving forward. This is what I will say with Renee on that is, as, as I said, I've said Renee pushed it on that one, but Renee handled it beautifully. The care for the player who took it was immediate. Mm-hmm. And I, like, mm-hmm. I, I already knew that Renee was doing that and texting them while we were on a Zoom call. There was no question in my mind. But what I think is really important, as Renee has said there in that trust and collaboration with your players, that's also how Renee and I work when we're designing things. And I suggest other people find other people you can talk to. If you want to talk mm. to Dragon Rock, we are available. But it's also, <laughs> in general, find people, go onto mm. forums, because building mm. that dialogue and, as I said, sometimes as a Renee's will push limits on as a DM. I will message Renee when I think he's done a great session, which is pretty much always. And I will also (laughs) tell him when I'm like, Hey, that was awesome. But maybe turn the dial back a little bit. Like I think you reached a little bit. I've never doubted that he's handled it well because I, because of the pandemic, I've actually never run a game for Renee. He stepped up to running online and I'm still more comfortable doing it in person. That's going to change. But, Mm -hmm. um, Renee has beautifully navigated that trust. And it's something, the same thing. If Renee and I ever tell each other, this has to change on a thing, both of our egos are not involved because we know Mm -hmm. that both of us are trying to make this the best it can be. Right. And it doesn't mean we don't argue or have a debate, but that debate will end then when we realized of like, okay, what is actually best for this? Because neither of us is going to make it about the ego. And be willing to kill your darlings when you're making things. If Mm -hmm. you work an idea and then it just doesn't quite get there, throw it out, come up with something. Get rid of it. Do something else. Because if you're too attached to something and you're not willing to allow somebody to come in and be like, hey, have you thought about this? That's the problem. Like you become the problem. It's not the design that's the problem. It's you. Mm. And and that's one of the things that Daniel and I have, have uh, had the pleasure of really coming to terms with is, is like, how do we divorce our own personalities and our own egos from the things that we create? And it's knowing that we both approach it, all of this with positive intent. So like for us, it's super feed- easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. If he gives yeah. me feedback on something and says, Hey, maybe went a little bit, too deep on this one what about this i go "Mm." and if i feel like if i think that like maybe like maybe he's pulling it back too far or if maybe i think that no no this is like right on the line if you think about it like and and the thing i've learned with daniel is like if i can pull up like if i can pull up precedent and be like no here's this (laughs) this and this that gives me the like the give it gives me the right to say that this (laughs) okay um then yeah no like like daniel will be like nope you know what you're right we'll keep going and other times like i'm gonna be honest with you mike nine times out of ten when daniel tells me that i need to change something i just fucking change it (laughs) because at the end of the day at the end of the day he's probably right so like i i just kind of ride with it. i just have a quick brain and good memory it makes things and and it's easy it's just easier for the two of us to find a common ground because normally our like i know after doing this with daniel for almost over two years now that everything that we make like i don't i will sing this to the high heavens everything we make is fucking gold and (laughs) and i i cannot speak higher of somebody than daniel because i wouldn't be the creator i am without him and and i i can i know for sure the sentiment a hundred percent so renee and i 
push each other. And that's what I would say. People find friends and collaborators who will push you like, and compliment what you do. That's because hmm. Renee is my dearest collaborator. Everything I do at Dragon Rock and is better and finding collaborators. And I think that comes from both of us having theatrical backgrounds and things like that and working as ensembles, uh, despite mm-hmm. the fact that that world is also rampant with ego. Um, oh yeah. Right. It, we aren't in it for that. We're in it for the art. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're in it for what we're crafting. Uh, and a hundred percent find people who will say no to you when you, that you need to be said no to and who will support you and help you find better ways to say yes. It's the same rule as improv that is so important at every D and D table. It's yes. And is the or same no as no, but, but. when mm-hmm. you say no, find another way to work with things. And uh, like as Renee is my dearest collaborator and friend, and I love working with him. It goes entirely mutual, but I think it's a critical thing for anyone working things. Get other eyes on your material. Wholeheartedly. And get somebody else to tell you what looks well. If you're crafting something for a player, work with that player. I don't care if it gives them some meta knowledge. You want to make Mm. sure the thing you're making for them makes them happy. Right? Renee made a magic item for my character recently. I pitched him a couple ideas. He wanted to make it. He made it. I looked at it Mm -hmm. and I went, okay, here's a couple of things that either mechanically putting on my design hat or character wise. And it was, Renee had it 99%, that 1% dial to make it there. That's all it needed. Right? But have that dialogue with your players. Hide that dialogue with your DM. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, DMs and designers, uh, my last little bit of uh, feedback is uh, whenever you cut a corner, you make two more. So (laughs) don't, don't just, don't skip the essential steps. Go through the process. Work with people. Don't live in a bubble when it comes to your designs. See what other people are doing. And if you don't appreciate it or you don't feel like it works for you, great. Do your thing and like make it your own. But don't feel locked into this self-hyperbaric chamber where only you can know what's right for what you're working on. It's never going to be the case. And that's why every good author has an editor behind them. And as much as I've talked too much, Renee spurred something in my head of an important thing we talk about that we haven't talked about today, which is things like balance. We've talked about, you know, oh, you find something of a similar level, right? Mm-hmm. Mechanical balance is one thing, mathematical balance, essentially. Perception of balance is an important thing in some ways more important when you're creating things Mm. is if you put something out there for feedback and a bunch of people tell you it's broken, it's too powerful. This Mm. is why. Mm. And then you look at number wise and crunch numbers of what average damage per round would be. And you go like, it's not, not in the least. You still have something to learn from that, which Mm. is that however you've presented it, leads people to believe that it is broken or that it is overpowered and managing people's perceptions 
like we talked about um, the wand tea and things that have magic resistance. That's not broken. I'm telling you it not. Everybody thinks it is. Now, mm-hmm. one T also having poison immunity alongside that. Okay, maybe we'll talk that that's a bit of a push. Mm-hmm. But what are the things that are giving people that feeling? So managing perceptions is as important as whatever the mechanics are, the math of the balance. So you can learn from that negative feedback as well. You can say, yeah. okay, that pe- person told me a bunch of things and they're wrong. But what have I done that's made them think that? How can I tailor my material differently because of it? Yeah, definitely an important thing to uh, to keep in mind is not just uh, how the math works out, but how it's uh, received by people and their their perception of it. Absolutely. yeah, well, a, a lot of really great uh, advice from from y'all, and I'm I'm jazzed to go and maybe try and homebrew my own subclasses now. Um, it's not something oh, yes. I've done before in in that, in that made that effort. I've homebrewed pretty much everything else up to that point. You know, tweaks of races and spells and feats and all of that, but never really dived into or dove into a subclass or anything beyond that. So. Oh. Mike, if you ever want to talk to us, you know where to find us. Right here. Send us a message or an email. We'll have a chat. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, thanks so much for for y'all, all all of your uh, advice today, guys. It's been uh, excellent chatting with you and and, uh, appreciate having you on. Um, I know you kind of covered some of the bases earlier as well, but I do want to give you space to kind of plug how folks can can reach you and and find your stuff as well. So um, I'll I'll, uh, shut up here for a minute and yeah, let, let listeners know how to, to find out about you. Sure. Uh, you can follow us at Dragon Rock RPG Design on Instagram, at Dragon Rock RPG on Twitter. That's rock spelled R-O-C, like the giant mythical bird, not the shard of stone, or the, you know, people's champion, most famous wrestler ever. Uh, I say that only for Renee because he's a giant wrestling fan. Uh <laughs> In addition to that, you can find several of our releases on DMs Guild by searching Dragon Rock uh, on the DMs Guild search. That'll bring you to all of the ones we've published thus far. We focused on subclasses. We have our Barbarian subclasses, our Warlock subclasses, our Rangers. We also have our Icons of Horror, which was kind of our soft first release, which is five different subclasses inspired by villains from horror cinema. So if you want to have a Jason Voorhees or Michael Miles-like character or a Candyman, we have a warlock for that one. Uh, We have a monk that is loosely inspired by Freddy Krueger, a bard that is loosely inspired by Pennywise. You can find those things. I will say that's one of our earliest releases. You can see how far we've come because I look at that (laughs) one and there are some things in it that I'm like, they're not bad, but what were we thinking with that wording? So (laughs) we all get better over time. That's the way it works. So um, yeah, all of those supplements are free pay what you want supplements. So please just give them a download. Uh, If you like them and you want to throw us a couple bucks, you can do so after. We appreciate it. But more than anything, we'd like if you give us a rating and review and follow us on social media and let us know what you think about it, because we want to make things that people enjoy. Um, And yeah, you can also talk to us for consulting or collaborating or commission us on things, but mostly we're around. Uh, Renee, talk about some of the stream things you do, because you do a little more of that than I do. 
Yeah, I'm more of an online personality than Daniel is, just by a little bit. Um, <laughs> so you can find me at the Red Hair Inn on Twitch, where I play Perrin Hope Singer, a halfling bard who's uh, accompanying his younger sister on her first adventure outside of home, uh, which is very interesting. We um, we are a, ser- a a a crew of five full casters and a fighter um which is very interesting um (laughs) to say the least um we have a lot of fun sometimes we talk about nuts and poofing what that means is up to you um you have to kind of find out and check it out um when this when you're picking up this podcast you should be able to check it out the following tuesday at 8 p.m eastern time um i'm also occasionally on the initiative order which is another Twitch channel um, where we play a whole bunch of different kinds of games. We play uh, Cult Divinity, Morkborg, uh, Simbaroom, um, Alien, um, as well as uh, Vasen. We play a whole bunch of different RPGs, but what I do over at the Initiative Order is I am the Dungeon Referee, and I host a game called Mythical Melee, where I turn to my friends and I say, hey, you want to fight each other? And then I put them in a ring and I make them go head-to-head using D&D 5e rules, um, normally at level 20. Um, the most recent one that will have happened as of April 23rd was called Kaiju Clash, where we took Godzilla, King Kong, King Ghidorah, and Mecha Godzilla, and we made them fight to the death. Who came out on top? I don't know, because this is recorded in advance. Um, <laughs> but I really hope it's Godzilla. We all do, don't we? Um, so come check out the Initiative Order. I run that Mythical Melee about every quarter or so. Um, and we do some really cool stuff. Uh, we have a wonderfully open community. We would love for you to join the Discord if you uh, have the bandwidth to do so, because we host community games as well, where you can just join in with other people who like playing TTRPGs and just hang out and chill and have a good time. Um, we also run charity events over there, of which I am the charity organizer um, for the Initiative Order. I don't know what the next one's going to be, but hopefully uh, we'll be doing one very soon. Um, and maybe for Mythical Melee. Again, this is pre-recorded. I'm not sure yet. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll you put can check detailed information in the show notes when, when we're getting close. Thanks, to Mike. You're yeah. the guy. You're the editor. That's I, what works. I got you. But uh, yeah, and as Renee said, I'm not uh, quite as much of an online personality as he is, It though it's not out of shyness. It's just I am enjoy talking to people social media it just burns me out way too quick that said i am also periodically on the initiative uh order i work behind the scenes helping renee create the mythical melees and being his living living encyclopedia while he runs them so he can wrangle them and i can keep track of the rules and uh because we try and run those games rules as written to keep things fair in general, mm-hmm. Renee and I are story first and rules can go out the window once you start playing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also on the Red Hair in Twitch stream occasionally working with our friend Logan, who is the innkeeper there, uh, helping him craft some homebrew for his world of Ecrium. Renee takes a little bit of a backseat on that one. He does come on and work with us occasionally because Renee and I are best when together. But specifically for that one, Renee mm-hmm. doesn't do as much because he doesn't want to be spoiled as Perrin Hopesinger lovable bard in it but uh, yeah so you can find me on those places and probably on other streams at some point soon excellent well again thanks so much for for coming on today guys and uh yeah listeners uh, there will be plenty of links in the show notes as well uh, about where you can find um dragon rock and their creations as well as all of their other forays into the tabletop rpg space um 
And uh, yeah, th- thanks for, for coming on, listeners. Thanks for, for joining us today uh, to kind of echo something that Daniel said earlier. Very much appreciate uh, you know ratings, reviews, comments, whatever feedback you can to let me know if you're enjoying any of the show. Um, also letting these guys know if uh, any of what we've said today has been uh, helpful or inspiring for, for you as well. Um, please uh, give them shouts out, shout outs on social media. Uh, highly, highly encourage that. Um, but uh, of course, the way that you can always help the show out best is to go out and tell 19 of your closest friends. Um, once again, thanks, guys, for coming on. Thank you to our listeners. Um, everybody, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. And we'll see you all next time when 19 hits the dragon. Bye bye. <laughs>